0: This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's up, Bible nerds? We're talking about Genesis 1 and 2, so let's take a closer look. But, happy birthday to Wellhouse <laughs> Today, or not today, today, but the day that this episode is coming out yep. is Wellhouse's one-year birthday.
1: One-year anniversary of our first public gathering. Yep. So Wellhouse technically formed um, July 16, 2020, because I was officially hired and Clayton was officially hired August 1st. That was our official start days. Yes. And we spent about six we- six or seven weeks working out some of the pieces of what we were trying to do, learning how to do the model we were trying to create. And then September 27th was our first public gathering, which is the day that this episode will come out.
0: September 27th. Correct. Um, and i'm not gonna lie i'm a little bit emotional right now um it it, yes it feels a little crazy that it's been a year it does um and so with that um thank you absolutely
1: absolutely
0: um because you guys are honestly what's gotten us through this yep and all of our other listeners right um
1: well and Clay and I were just talking about it off air, like we were getting so discouraged because yeah. like what we were doing wasn't gaining traction, it wasn't growing, it wasn't it wasn't doing the things that we felt and knew that it had potential to do, which was change lives and see people be yeah. restored through the power of Jesus, looking at a life of Jesus mm. through another lens. And we were getting discouraged. And at at the time of this recording, we're recording this on September 16th. But at the time of this recording, I mean, we're ecstatic about the growth we've seen yeah. and what's happening in the last month. It, it just almost seemed like when we were coming to the place where we were borderline ready to give up. Yeah, about God, six months ago. God led us into a place where we started growing and, and people are popping up on social and engaging. And if you are a listener to the podcast and you do not follow us on social, please do please that
0: you, you actually have no idea how much that helps.
1: Well, not just helps, but like that's how we communicate to you when we mm-hmm. don't publish content like this last week. Um, I lost power because of yep. hurricane Nicholas. And how did I update people that the podcast schedule was changing Instagram on social? Like if you like, that's how we communicate with you. That's, that's how we build this community even more than it's already growing and engaging.
0: So, so please do go follow us on, on all our socials. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to say how much we loved you guys first. Absolutely. Thank you for the support for the one year. Yeah. Um, and um, also, with the 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 anniversary, yep, uh, we promised you guys something. We, we said on the one year anniversary of Wellhouse's launch that we were going to release a merch line. Yep, and it is live today. Yep, let's go! All of our merch is live today. The Wellhouse Marketplace. Yep. Um, You can find it on our website. There will be a link in the show notes and in the description below. Yep. Um, Go peruse and find something you like. Yep. Find something for your partner that you think they'll like. Yep. Um, And honestly, you could support us that way. Yep. Um, And also... Get some pretty cool stuff because we come up with a lot of cool stuff. (laughs) We do have some really
1: cool merch. And if you're only a Bible nerd and you're not a beer lover, we have a ton of cool merch on Pints of Perspectives, ton of cool merch for your spiritual formation on practicing presence. If you're listening to us and not on YouTube, you can find all of our content at our website, mywellhouse.church, or you can go to our social medias, mywellhouse.church, and find the links in our bio.
0: Yep. You can find all the things everywhere that you yep. normally find the things. Yep, absolutely. Um, and we so, have a
1: ton of cool merch on all of our across uh, the platform. Across the platform, plus just merch related to Wellhouse Church mm-hmm. as a brand.
0: Yep, uh, t-shirts, hats, mugs, the, the things, hoodies, the works—all
1: the things that you would want. Um, we've got them,
0: and we've also got something really cool coming for Let's Talk too. Um, we do. Um, we can't release it yet yeah yeah we can't Um, release it yet but what we're that's coming and um, yeah so just just stay up to date on our merch Um, this is really exciting for us if you can't tell
1: yeah it's exciting for us and uh, I mean you're also I mean and this is just to say thank you to you but you're you're looking at or listening to two guys that have a dream Mm. about seeing people restored through the power of Jesus in a new way that decentralizes and get rid, gets rid of a lot of the problems of contemporary evangelicalism. But we both work other jobs. Yep. Like we, we, we we don't like, this is not our main source of income. Like we do this because we love it and we love Jesus and we love the vision that we're creating and we're ecstatic that you guys have joined us on this journey. The,
0: the, the, the thing that I like to say all the time and the thing that gets me through each day and gets me out of bed, honestly, is our listeners. Yep. Is, yep. is the people that we engage with that is changing lives. That's, you guys are honestly what gets me out of bed every day. Yep,
1: yep, 100%. Um,
0: and so we love you. Thank you. But now let's talk about your story.
1: Yeah. So, at the time of this recording, I haven't recorded it yet, but we're starting a new series. Um, and I honestly, I haven't even decided exactly what I'm going to call it. But if you read the Bible from the very first pages, You see this metaphor of fruit. Yeah. And that metaphor persists throughout the narrative in its entirety. Yeah. Even through Revelation 21, Mm -hmm. the fruit that is the new city, the vegetation that comes in the, the new creation. Paul, the fruit of the Spirit, like Jesus, the fruit of your labor, like mm-hmm. the, you are you'll the know them by the their branches. fruit. Yeah, yeah, like all like this metaphor persists evasively. Yeah, throughout Scripture, and I just think it's really important to look at all of what that narrative is telling us. Agreed. I think we, let me say, from the tradition that I grew out of, that we grew out of, I felt like it was dominated by Paul, even more so than Jesus. Like, Jesus was talked about, but only in a way that was through the lens of what Paul said about Jesus.
0: You know, I kind of wanted to combat that, but then I started thinking about it. Literally, even when we would take communion,
1: We would read the Pauline version of communion.
0: We wouldn't read the actual uh, Passover supper.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, we would, yeah, we would sometimes, sometimes. But by and large, you read the Pauline version of that. Yeah. So like for me, so much of the faith that I was given, I feel like, was isolated to the new Testament. So when I got in the seminary and I started like really trying to expand what I thought faith was and, and what it meant to be a person of faith and, and deconstructing and all these things. One of the things that I said is I, I want to know the story better. Yeah. Like all, all of the narrative. Cause there was so much of the old Testament stories I didn't know. And then you yeah. read them and I'm like, how did I not know that stories in the Bible? Yeah,
0: and and when you look at the the full narrative, mm-hmm. right? When you and I'm gonna go a little bit Bible project. I've been on a Bible project. Kick. You have been on. I've been kick. on a yeah. big Bible project. kick. You have. Um, when you look at the full narrative, they they don't use the word narrative. They talk about the Bible as a story, right? They're that not leads
1: a unified story that leads to Jesus. That's right.
0: That's their mission. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, or sort of. Um, that is what they say all the time, and. When you look at this unified story, this Mm -hmm. narrative, you will be surprised, honestly, at how many areas of your life it can be applied to. Yep. Um, Because then it does kind of take on this, I don't want to say subjective, um, but almost kind of relative stance.
1: Um, Okay, in what way?
0: So... There are times where, uh, so like the the Old Testament narratives are really hard mm-hmm. to to apply to modern life, mm-hmm. but through similes, you can get yeah. there.
1: Yeah, similes, metaphors, like anything that helps you understand and analyze the text. Yeah,
0: it can help you get there, and it yep. can help you take the text and apply it to your life, and that's narrative theology. Yep, in a way, exactly.
1: Um, and I I did this. So this is the second time I've done this type of teaching. I did this once at another church, and I can talk about it because I own the content, but um, I did this once again at another church, and I called it Hydrate. Mm. And I spent eight weeks, and I tracked the water metaphor throughout Scripture. So good. Um, So good. It began with Noah and went all the way throughout the new testament jesus walking on water jesus calming the storm just following this metaphor of water that's what we're doing again with this series now honestly not really sure where it's going to end that one i knew because it had a goal in mind but this one it's such a pervasive metaphor. It's everywhere. It is and, everywhere, and
0: you cannot leave out the the pervasiveness, if that's the word you are going to use, of wine too.
1: Correct. Right. Well, because it's the fruit of the vine. That's right. the Old Testament narrative for, yep. or Old Testament, you know, usage for to talk about wine or grape,
0: which is literally yeah everywhere. Yes, every book of the Bible. You can find almost, almost. You can almost. find a reference to wine.
1: Yep, almost. There is fruit everywhere. It's everywhere. And so let's start diving into this. So today we're going to talk about chapters one and two. Chapter one. Sounds
0: like we're starting an audiobook. Chapter one. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Chapter one is really interesting to me. So. Also, if you are a social media person, you should also follow me and Clayton on our own personal ones because we post a lot of stuff there, especially me, like Bible-related content that never makes it to the Wellhouse page. I was reading Genesis. I'm reading through Genesis right now. And the other day I posted on my story, I'm reading Genesis 1 through 5 today. If anybody wants to, like, join the conversation. Lots of people did. I was hmm. shocked, actually, how many people like wow. wanted to join that conversation. That's awesome. Um, but one of the things that I noticed is in chapter one, God says seven times that what he made is good. Yeah. In Hebrew numerology, seven is the number for per- perfection. Perfect. Yeah. What God has made is perfectly good. Yep. Three times in the narrative, the word for fruit is used. In Mm -hmm. just in chapter one. I didn't know that. Yeah. So you have it here in verse 11. Mm -hmm. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees, and every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed on it. So there are three sections throughout the narrative where fruit is used. That's number one. Number two is when God makes the animals in verse 22. And the text says, God bless them saying, be fruitful and multiply.
0: Mm. And then with man.
1: And then with
0: man. So now, wait, biblical wait. numerology. I, wait,
1: I bring that up for another reason. Hebrew numerology, what's the number for three? It's the Trinity. It's the divine number. Yeah. It it is the number that symbolizes divinity. Yeah. Now it's you the the word is used more, but three right. sections of the narrative of the seven days, yep. three of them contain the idea of fruit
0: yeah um i'd never put all of that together um but wow that's a really interesting starting place it is and that's where the narrative opens up that's where it begins Mm -hmm. giving you some sort of idea and and ancient readers would have understood this Mm -hmm. in a way that we so far disconnected can't Mm -hmm. um they would have understood that fruit mm-hmm. carries some level of divinity as well as all creation.
1: Possibly. I don't want to totally impose that upon them. I mean, that may be an explanation for why the fruit metaphor is so pervasive. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fully push that on them because I, I'm mm-hmm. not 100% confident. But the reason I set that up, and, and specifically, This in chapter one about man, the third usage of fruit is really important to me because verse 26 says, then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. 27. So God created humankind in his image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. It should not be lost on us that, number one, the first command of God is one of fruitfulness. Mm -hmm. And number two, it should not be lost on us that God's first command is through the lens of a fruit metaphor. Yeah. That should set up for you, like, like that piece, that the very first thing God ever said is be fruitful and multiply, and in that used a metaphor of fruit, mm-hmm. of production, of growth, of creation. Yeah. And Here's why I say that, because this never occurred to me before. Genesis chapter 3. What do they do wrong? Mm. They
0: eat a fruit. They eat a fruit that God designated them not to
1: eat. Yeah, so chapter 2 is the breakdown of this Mm. understanding of the fruit. You can have all the fruit you want. Just as I've commanded you to be fruitful and multiply to to a plenty, you can have all of this, but there's one fruit you can't have. the,
0: f- we, the forbidden fruit,
1: correct. Which and then chapter about that way. and then chapter three is this this narrative of the forbidden fruit, which also in chapter three that's going to be week two, but in chapter three the fruit bearing. Is diminished in creation by the curse. Yeah. The earth will now bear thorns and thistles, things that choke out growth. Yeah.
0: Mm. And also, Bible nerds. You're you're Bible nerds, so I hope you know this. It's not an apple. <laughs> it's not an apple.
1: More than likely it's something close to a pomegranate. Yeah. <laughs> like, more than likely. It's
0: something it's that fruit does not exist anymore. It's not an apple.
1: <laughs> now the reason I bring all that up and set all that up for you God establishes in the narrative that something important and impactful is happening by setting up that this is good, that there's seven of these, so it's perfectly good, Mm -hmm. and that there's this three of this fruit narrative that something about it is divine. Mm -hmm. Then we get to chapter two.
0: Can I walk something? Go ahead. For a second? Go ahead. I was I was trying to just kind of work through what is fruit, mm-hmm. and you know that old uh, explanation for the Trinity that's honestly horrible about the egg.
1: It's yeah, the horrible. shell, the yolk, and the white.
0: It's not horrible, but like yeah. it, it could be better.
1: Well, it, yeah, it's not great.
0: For it to be a classified fruit, it has to have seeds. Mm-hmm. It has to have some sort of meat. And it has to have a skin. Yep. It's divided up into three parts. Like, uh, I know that's not great, but there's something about that that is...
1: You could. I mean, what do you do with... I mean, mean,
0: yeah. It's not fantastic. Yeah. But
1: I'm just... I, I don't think Trinitarian metaphors are super helpful. They're not. Because they always break down at some level. Yeah. Um... But the reason I bring this up about fruit, because here something stands out to me about this. Genesis 1, you have this set up about fruit. Genesis 2, you're introduced into this fruit in the fullness, right? And God says things like, hey, you can have all this fruit you want, But there's one fruit I don't want you to eat. Mm -hmm. Okay? Also, we didn't highlight it here. We highlighted on all of the, like, most of the other podcasts. But that whole being made in the image and likeness of God thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a big deal. Being in pursuit of divine likeness Mm -hmm. is a big deal throughout Genesis 1. Being in pursuit of divine likeness is a big deal throughout the rest of the narrative. Do you remember what Satan's temptation to Eve is? You could be like God. Like God.
0: Yeah. That cannot be missed. It can't. That is a big deal.
1: You will be like God, knowing good from evil. That's right. That's what the serpent says to her.
0: And honestly, when you think about that statement, like if you really break down that statement, of under of that is what satan is trying to get eve to understand is you will be like god and understand the difference between good and evil. He doesn't actually say it that way, I don't think, but no, that's, he that's he exactly says that what he you says. will be like god. Does he make the statement about knowing the difference between good and yes. evil? Yes. That blows my mind because she doesn't know evil. Correct. Um She has no experience of evil until she disobeys. Correct. Um, It's just, how does she, why does she want to know? You know, like that's the question that's always lingered with me.
1: Well, look, I think it, it goes back to anything and everything we do. We have a legitimate need that we meet with an illegitimate means. She wants to be like God. She Mm. recognizes that language, Mm. but she's going about achieving it in a way that's Mm. unhealthy. The thing that I see and recognize about this narrative Mm -hmm. is that God set something up for good. Whatever is carried in the metaphor of fruit, and we're going to spend the next however many weeks until I have to start the Advent series working it out. What does this metaphor of fruit carry with us? Whatever it does, it's so powerful. And we're going to talk about it next week too, but the reason that God puts a flaming sword yielded by a cherubim in front of the entrance to the garden of Eden in the East is because he says they will come back and eat the fruit Mm. of the tree of life and live forever. What God meant for good, what humanity thought for good, Satan the serpent distorted and tempted us with our own innately good desire Mm. to be like God. And here's the thing I want you to walk away from. At least through this point of the narrative, I'm going to dive it out more looking specifically at chapter 3 next week, but this is just kind of the whole setup and foundation. God didn't cast you from the Garden of Eden without giving you an alternative to life. Mm. Because as much as we guilt ourselves and shame ourselves for our sin, I believe, and I believe this wholeheartedly, that Eve's intention was good. Yeah. She was in pursuit of divine likeness. She was tempted in the wrong way and made a bad decision that God definitely told her not to make. But she was in pursuit of something wholesome, being like God. And then, immediately, she felt shame. Adam felt shame. And so they hide themselves. They guard themselves. And when God comes to them, they blame each other. Listener, as God has set up in the beginning of the narrative that fruitfulness is divine and that creation and the things that come from creation are perfect and good, and of that fruitfulness, God has applied that metaphor to humanity outside of being made in his image, outside of being in his likeness, outside of being commanded to pursue his likeness, outside of all of that, the fruit metaphor tells me that you and the things that God has made are good. And we mess up. But I genuinely believe that the way the narrative is set up A hundred percent of me. I got no reservations about this. Eve's attempts at divine likeness may have been wrong, but she was good. She was trying to do something good, being in pursuit of divine likeness. If you are listening to this today, you are good. You may make mistakes being in pursuit of divine likeness because you're not perfect, but that's why God sent one that was perfect. In Jesus, because you can't get there. You can't be that. But your pursuit of divine likeness, I believe this to my core. We're like evil can evil. We get paid for the attempt. Pursuing divine likeness, sometimes we make bad decisions. And those bad decisions cost us. And they cost Jesus his life so that he might offer us life in order that we could live out the commands of Genesis 1, being in genuine fellowship with God the Father, and being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth with pockets of heaven.